Once in a while I sing that good, and then I wake up and realize it was all a dream. That was a blessing, amen. And God is so good to receive us back. Thank God for that song. A friend of mine, Merle, told me a joke. It's not very good, but he said French fries weren't fried first in France, but in Greece. You think about that. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I get jokes by text as well. But anyway, I, I heard another good one I thought this week was good. A woman's husband had been arrested and thrown in jail for stealing a dozen country hams. So he's in jail for a while, and she appeals to the governor. She finds a way to get in the governor's office to confront him and says, I need my husband released. He said, well, ma'am, according to the records here, he, he stole a bunch of stuff. He said, I don't understand why you want him released. What, was he a good husband? No, no, he never said a kind word to me. Slapped me around once in a while. Was he a good provider? No, never could keep a job. Was he good to the kids? Was he a good father? No, they can't stand the man. Well, lady, what in the world? She said, we're about out of ham. (laughs) I thought that was good. If I laugh in my office, I think, hey, I got to tell that one. But uh, anyway, we're looking at the 127th Psalm. A great, great psalm when it comes to... uh, families. Amen. In uh, Joshua's long day, and of course Hezekiah's 10 degrees, uh, we um, have a couple of great, uh, one great scientist, a guy named Charles Adele from Yale, and another one, Lewis Totten, both got together years ago and calculated astronomically that these two things were accurate, and and uh, there, there's so many interesting things as you study this the long day and, and Hezekiah's thing. Um, in fact, in ancient records, think about this. Chinese records speak of a long day. The Incas of Peru have in their records a long day, going back thousands of years. The Aztecs of Mexico have a record of a long day, as well as Babylon, Egypt, Persia, all have a record of a long day. Isn't that interesting? Why would they all have that in their records? They couldn't even communicate. It wasn't like they got together. Their historical records have a record of a long day and this, this uh, interesting uh, calculation. We don't need that. We believe our Bible, but it's nice to have that, isn't it? We, we, if we didn't have that, would we believe the long day? And, and the, this psalm, the 127th psalm, is one of 15 psalms we call degree psalms. In fact, if you look above the, the superscription above each psalm, it'll say a song of degrees starting in chapter 120, the 120th psalm, through the 134th psalm. And scholars attribute 10 of these, they believe, to Hezekiah because they're anonymous. Hezekiah said in Isaiah 38, uh, I believe verse 20, that he had written psalms or songs. And so there's, there's psalms somewhere, and scholars say it's probably these 10 because he asked the sun to be turned back in Isaiah 38, 8, 10 degrees. Also, there's 15 total. This one David wrote for his son 
Solomon. There's 15 total, and they say that's probably the 15 years added to Hezekiah's life. And there's other documents with HZK in them pointing to that as well. So if you look at above this psalm, it says a song of degrees, where the sun was turned back and all those things. And you can study this later. I can give you names and people to study. But what a great psalm David writes here uh, for his son Solomon. As I said, David wrote 73 to 75 different psalms. Let's stand and read this chapter. <clears throat> says here, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now, the Lord is all capitals. That's Yahweh. His name was Jesus later. But here is the covenant God of the Old Testament. Here it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of silence. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. You're wasting your time to build a family without the Lord. It's a waste of time. Verse 3, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And the gate is the place of leadership. The word happy, you see there, the little first word of the last verse. Look at the first word of the next verse, verse chapter 128, verse 1. Blessed, same word. Happy, same Hebrew word. And so you're blessed to have a bunch of kids. I didn't think that when I had them. I was stressed, not blessed. But boy, am I blessed today. Bless us, Lord, as we look into your holy word, inspired, infallible, and errant. And we just... Help us to find some something, some handfuls you've left on purpose for us today. And Lord, here today we have plenty of fathers who have failed, plenty of children that had bad fathers, and some didn't have fathers at all. And Lord, we are just so grateful for our Heavenly Father who makes up the difference by providing Jesus in an eternal home for us. Bless now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A heritage. Here it says, here in verse um, 3, children are a heritage. You think about a heritage, we think about our inheritance, what we're going to get when mom and dad die. I remember well, my mother decided to be, I was shocked, she was cremated rather than buried. She thought it was a waste of money, and that way she could leave all seven kids $11,000 is all she ended up leaving us. And, you know, that's, that was my inheritance. We think of Naboth, who wouldn't sell out. Remember Naboth? He would not, he would not sell his prime piece of land to the king. Even though the king offered him a better and bigger parcel, he said, no, that's my family land. Jeremiah was told to go back to a city that's not well known and buy a plot of land as an example to the people of Israel to realize the importance of the holy land that God had given them. And we think of an inheritance, we think of those things. But the most important thing you leave behind is not your land or your house or your uh, 401k. It's the children who you've poured your lives into. And if you fail in that, you have to seek forgiveness, but you never give up. Apologize, reach out to them. There's always hope to go back and, 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 and get your relationship restored with your children.
Here it says a man is blessed if he has a quiver full of them. A quiver held five or six arrows. It was an arrow container. Five or six. Now, we would have had six. We lost our first one. I always told Mary it was a girl. She didn't buy that. She made me buy one. I'm joking. We'd adopted a wonderful little girl, but it costs money to adopt. But, you know, you're so blessed. Not while you're, you know, traveling and they're vomiting on your pants when you got to get up and preach and you get in the parking lot and you're covered in vomit. And when, you know, when they're fighting in the car and the two-year-old screaming, you know, and they wake you up at night, that doesn't seem like being blessed. That's stressed. But what a thing it is, a wonderful thing to have a relationship with my kids that I have today. It's just so wonderful. A lot of things we're going to talk about today, but this word here, blessed, children, in chapter, excuse me, let's go to Proverbs 17 before I change my thought here. Proverbs chapter 17. Children are wonderful, especially when they're gone and they have babies and they bring them back. Oh, it's so wonderful to have those grandkids for about two hours. I can take them longer when they're older, but I'm worn out after two hours of chasing one of my grandkids. And that's why we have them when we're young. But children are so wonderful, and they bring you grandchildren. That's so good. Proverbs 17, 6, it says this. Children's children are the crown of old men. What have I been saying today? My grandchildren. I have eight or ten, excuse me, great-grandchildren. You say, you're not that old. No, I don't mean great in that way. They're just great kids, and I just love them. Are they perfect? No. No. They're wonderful. And the glory of children are what? Their fathers. I was reading where one race of people, 88% of kids are born out of wedlock. It's sad what's going on in our country and our world today. We want to talk about, you know, the, the schools. I say amen. The schools are in terrible shape right now, especially in the areas where they have to teach that junk this week. And, uh, you know, I had a, a guy tell me he wants this company, wants him to wear a pin honoring these people who are LG, what is it? Not LG, that's my wash machine, LGBQ or whatever it is. I don't know. Yes, thank you. And Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1 and Jesus' own words, we can't wear a pin and support that. While the Supreme Court, as I said, will support us, we would win in the Supreme Court. Who can afford a lawyer? But the cake winner won, and the, and the cake maker won, and the nuns won, and we know that our bylaws, our Constitution protects us, but the fact of the matter is we live in a world where all that stuff is about us, and it's in the schools, and some schools are teaching this, and we can talk about the schools, but the failure really begins in the home. Failure of dads who aren't dads. of the influence in a child's life in the first five years are from the home. And even when your kids are in school, school days are only, there's only 160 school days in a year. Out of 365, those kids are with you, and they are what you are teaching them to become. I understand the schools, and when I could, I had my kids in Christian school, but it wasn't always an option. And I've had some great experiences with public schools because I had great teachers and and we were involved in that kind of thing. 
But, but we can't blame our kids' failures on the schools. And we can't expect the church in the few times we bring our children to church uh, for the church to make up the difference in our failures. My kids grow up and they remember, and now they talk about remembering keys for kids. I prepared enough for church. I didn't want to prepare a devotional for my kids every day. So you know what I did? I depended on someone else. I had these little books called Keys for Kids out of Grand Rapids, the daily bread thing, and I'd read them every day. They've never forgotten that. It took me all of five minutes at the dinner table, which is a good thing to do, by, by the way, eat dinner together. People don't do that anymore. But that's such a good thing. My kids remember that. Just a little thing. I wasn't a good father in many respects. I had a great heavenly father. My kids remember that. But 82% of our kids' lives, even in school, is spent at home. I know some of it's sleeping, but we have an opportunity. Now go to Proverbs 22.6 because this verse is, boy, I read my conservative uh, men and, and all the different opinions on Proverbs 22.6, and no one hardly agrees it's one of the most debated uh, verses in the Old Testament. It's difficult to understand, and no matter how you look at it, and I spent time in this this week, and I thought, wow, this great preacher I know says this, and this one says this, and what does Scripture say? And it's so challenging, because one writer said this is not a promise, but a principle. And so I want you to see this today. Proverbs 22.6, which we all are familiar with this. It says here, train up a child and the way he should go, and when he was old, when he's old, he will not depart from it. And we think of the fact, and we think of this in these terms, well, he's never going to stray, and then we see one of our kids stray. And I'm thankful I haven't had a real ridiculous teen yet. I, or I haven't had a kid with a drug problem and all the moral problems. I hadn't had that. I've been blessed. But I know preachers that have, and I know Christians that have. And it's very hurtful, and you think, well, what did I do wrong? They were in church. We had devotions. I prayed with them. And we want to, you know, blame ourselves, and, and we want to look at the Scripture and say, wait a minute, it says they will not depart from it. Let me give you a, a translation. This is the Mao translation. From everything that I poured into this and studying the meaning here, here's what I've concluded for this verse after all these years of studying. Teach your children to choose the right pathways, and they, and they will when they're older. In other words, they may have a time where they do some stuff like I did to my dad, but they will eventually make right choices because you've taught them how to make right choices. Boy, they'll make some bad choices along the way, but they'll eventually come back Mature, grow up, remember what you've taught them. And that's what you've got to hold on to because some of you said, well, man, I had this son and I mean, he was an honor student. Yes, your honor. No, your honor, not guilty, your honor. You know, and that's tough to deal with when you say, well, I, I, I really taught them the right things. Well, don't give up because they can make the right decisions and will. But here's the word train you find the Hebrew word five times in your Bible. It's only translated train once. Look back at Deuteronomy here, chapter uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, just for a moment. I want you to see how it's uh, trained, uh, how it's trained, how it's uh, 
translated here in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 5. Twice it's translated here. And in two other Old Testament passages, we're not going to look there. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 5, you'll find it translated here two times, dedicate. It says, I'm picking up in the middle of a verse, what man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. That's how it's translated here. Same word, train. Now, all of us, or many of us, have, have had children born, and in fact, in our case, we dedicated all five of our kids when they were babies. And we would all say, that's great. But the problem is, a lot of people, I even had a person in, in a family in Saudi Daisy call me, can we dedicate our baby? And their, their relatives called me, and I said, well, they never come to church. Well, they, they want to start out right with this baby and dedicate the baby. So we did a baby dedication. They never came to church again. And that's the problem. Dedicating a child doesn't end when they're a few months old here in the altar. It's daily work. It's hard work. The hardest thing you ever do besides being a husband is be a father. But we have to dedicate our children day in and day out. It doesn't end with a simple altar call. It's a consistent daily effort to influence their lives. Now turn to 1 Timothy, New Testament. As the old Bell South ad said, let your fingers do the walk, and it's not that hard. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. We're going to share... Four principles, responsibilities, we'll call them, of fathers. What are the father's responsibilities? I'm going to give you four. They're going to give you three responsibilities of children. Four uh, responsibilities of the father, and the first one is physical provision. The second one we'll look at, spiritual direction. You have these in your notes, emotional connection and reasonable correction. First of all, 1 Timothy 5.8, physical provision. Physical provision. If any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's a word, one without faith. The word faith is pistos. It's the word without faith. You get a little, a little attachment to that Greek word. Two words in the Greek combined to make one. Without faith. In other words, if you're a believer and you men don't provide, you're worse than a lost man because you don't provide for your kids. Sadly, today we have a lot of lazy bums. Oh, preacher, don't say that. Oh, preacher, say it. We don't have good fathers today. We've gotten away from things. You know, never, once I left home, I never once had to call my dad. Dad, will you send me some money? I, did, my, I knew my dad would say, what's going on? Well, Dad, I had this happen. I bought this. And he'd say, well, tough luck, kid. I'll pray for you. That's all I'd get. My dad let us know early. Boys, if you want a car, good luck. Get a job, save money, you'll get a car. My friend graduated, and his dad bought him a brand-new Corvette. He's been on drugs ever since. I got nothing for graduation. $5, excuse me, $5 transistor radio. My dad was that way. When I went to college, I, I wondered if he's going to help me at all. No, he said, good luck, son. We'll be praying for you. 
Now, I'm being sarcastic, but that's really what he said. What did my dad want from me? He wanted me to be a man, to put my pants on, button up my shirt, and go to work and learn to provide for my family. I've had to work so many times, several jobs. I remember when I was first your interim pastor. I was teaching Bible college classes at night, seminary classes at that time, I believe. I was cutting meat 12 hours on Saturday at Rossville Bilo's. Yes, I was managing a mission office during the day, and I was building my house. I wasn't doing the labor, but I was contracting my house in my spare time. Now, with grading papers, preparing lectures, cutting meat, blue-collar and white-collar work, I was worn out, but I, I, did, I did accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, and I didn't have to call and ask Daddy for help. Of course, Dad wouldn't have helped anyway. My point is this. Sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and work two jobs or work extra hours. But, men, it's on your shoulders. It says he. It doesn't say for the woman to provide, and many times the woman has to. Because a man's abandoned the kids. Worse than an info. So we have to work hard. Then Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy. Spiritual direction. It doesn't end with just paying the bills. And I am not against women working. The virtuous woman worked. My wife worked some. A couple of years full time as a teacher. My kids were all in school. And it was a blessing. We were able to get on the bases. So there's times I think that it's fine if your family makes the decision to, for the wife to work because the kids are in school, they don't need mom, and those extras can help out maybe for college or whatever. I think that's fine. My point is the responsibility for provision is not on the woman's shoulders. It's on the men's shoulders. I knew a couple of years ago they were going to get married, and they were calculating how they're going to do it, and he was sitting down at the table at his girlfriend's parents' house calculating how they were going to pay uh, for the bills, and her dad heard it, and he said, I don't want you all to get married. And they looked at him, and he said, I don't like this, where my daughter's part of the calculation. I'm glad my daughter was going to work and keep her job, and that would be helpful. That's understandable. And in some cases, a man can't work. Think of, think of the situations that you're aware of. So I, I'm not saying there's not exceptions. I'm saying men are lazy many times. And it's their job to work. But we, we know of situations. And, 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 and that family, that, that couple broke up, didn't marry. The dad was so appalled that he was expecting his daughter to help with the bills. Now, that's good when a wife does. I knew a couple, Joanne and Charles Tabor, dear friends of mine. They were from Crossville, but moved down here. And Dear, dear friends. They always wanted me to pastor here so they could be in my church, and it never happened. But just precious people. Joanne worked for 30 years for Blue Cross, but she didn't neglect her kids or the grandkids. She was a virtuous woman, hard worker. Remember, we learned that on Mother's Day. It's not wrong for women to work. That's not my point. But now spiritual direction, I've gone uh, far enough on that matter. Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6, I apologize. Here we see spiritual direction. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. 
And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in that house, and when thou walkest in the way. Notice the word way. Kids need direction. Kids need direction. And when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And, of course, the Jews actually took this literally and put Scripture on, on their forehead in the phylacteries. They, they would tie them here or tie them on the wrist. It says, put them on your forehead. God means to hide them in your heart, to memorize Scripture. They took it literally to physical extremes, the Pharisees. But the importance of spiritual direction. How, how can you guide your children when you aren't in the Bible at all? Heard Charles Stanley this week, great message on prayer. He said, you know why I teach people to pray? And his first point was this, because Jesus prayed. Jesus was continually asking the Father for direction, and he's the Son of God. But Father, what's your will today? What do you want me to do? And we don't pray. Shame on us. You know why our prayers aren't answered? Because we don't pray. We pray once a week. We pray when we're in trouble. We don't pray consistently. We wonder why prayers aren't answered. It's because we don't pray. We have not because we ask not. When you have a need, you need to go to the Father and pray. You need to confess your sin, and then you need to honor him and adore him, and then you need to ask him for your needs. Pray for others first. Pray for yourself last, but pray. And most Christians don't pray. The few that do, we write books about them, we talk about them in our pulpits, how they start orphanages and God provides their needs. And the people who we know pray, we see what God does in their life, yet we don't pray. We talk to everyone about our problems but the Lord. Teach your children to pray. Teach them Scripture. Third, Colossians 3.21, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but we're going to talk about emotional connection. Proverbs says, provoke not your children to wrath. Provoke not your children to wrath. I think about Abraham favoring Isaac over Ishmael. I think about Isaac favoring Esau over Jacob, and then, and then Jacob favoring Joseph over the other 11. Favoritism is one way to provoke your children to anger. Favor one of them over the other. Favor one of them over the other. That's a mistake. You're provoking to wrath. Hypocrisy provokes your kids to wrath. Do as I say, don't worry, don't do as I do, you know. Um, my boys were ball players. They won state titles, they got rings and all that, and they beat, you know, Brainerd and Macaulay and a lot of great schools in Memphis, and I was really proud of them, their testimony, proud of everything. But not everybody's proud of me because I'd sit in the bleachers. Let them take a dog for a walk the next time, ref. Give him a job at the travel agency. I had a big mouth. Come on, call the file. What's wrong with your whistle? My wife moved. <laughs> Give him a charge card the next time he charges. You know, I had all these sarcastic sayings and I had a big mouth. What would I have done if one of my kids would have been thrown out of the game for arguing with a ref? I couldn't have done a thing. Because they'd have said, well, Dad, you're always yelling at the refs. And that's been a long time since I did that, but I still did it. You say, I can't believe, Pastor, you did that. I did it, and you do stuff too. Don't sit there like you don't do things you do. I was at a soccer game one time, and the lady, I mean, you could tell she was a contentious lady. After the game, she didn't stop yelling. She followed the ref all the way to his car. You could hear her screaming across the field, and I thought, how dare her, and I thought, what about me in basketball? 
We can't tell our kids to do one thing and live another. But I think one of the most important things we miss as, as parents is the importance of touch in our kids' lives. I say this to men, if you don't hug your daughter, some jerk's going to. I hug my boys. In fact, one of my boys, when I was on the campus of Temple, he, he knew so much that I would hug him, he just, rather than be embarrassed, he'd just come over and hug me. <laughs> he knew if I saw him, I'd hug him. I'm a hugger. But touch is vitally important in rearing children. They need your touch, Dad. And your girl, when she becomes a lady, you can still hug her from the side. You can still kiss her on the top of the head. They need touch. And without it, they're lacking. I, I've been amazed when you, when you read about these serial killers. Not that I read about them, but I've seen it on TV. And you read about the dads, abusive, absent, alcoholic, you never hear him say, well, my dad was a real good dad. They have these interviews. He held me on his lap and he read books. He always hugged me. He disciplined me. He spent time fishing. You don't ever hear that from a serial killer. No. You hear the opposite, don't you? Because touch is so important. Time, quality time is so important. It's one of the love languages. Is, I think it's Gary Smalley tells us. And then reasonable correction. Hebrews 12, 6 says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If dads love their kids, you know what dads do? They give them the board of education to the seat of their britches. That's what a good dad does. It's so important. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4. I want you to see this. You know the verse. It says here, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you know in Scripture, admonition always includes chastening? In fact, in the early years of our country, chastening was pretty prevalent in schools. I had a friend grow up in the Catholic school, and he'd say the nun would walk over and whack me on the head with a stick. I got paddled in middle school. It was part of instruction. And we, we want to rear children and not discipline them and wonder what's wrong with them. Well, you're spoiling them. You don't give them any guidelines, and they're going to have problems. Correction's important. Look at 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2. We'll go to three or four more places. We're almost done. I'll be done in five minutes according to my watch. It runs slow sometimes. First. Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22. I want you to see this. You have your notes. You can look this up later, but you've got to see this. Eli. It says here in 2.22, And Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. We know they also ate of the sacrifices they weren't supposed to eat that were supposed to be totally burnt up. In 3.13 it says here, for I have told them that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he what? Restrained them not. The failure of Eli. Years ago, I'll never forget, I'm teaching a seminary class, and I get a call, I get to my office, come to the high school. Three times I had to make a trek to the high school. 
And my son would intentionally pronounce things wrong to make everybody laugh. You could imagine he would talk about the planet Uranus and say it just a little bit wrong. Or he'd talk about the Bolshevik Revolution and say it just a little bit wrong. And he would do things like that. And I wanted to kill the kid. I wouldn't abandon him, but I'd have, I'd have probably shot him or something. I'm kidding. But, and I get in the office, and I'm so embarrassed because I'm the distinguished professor, and my son's done this. Oh, my word. And the principal's explaining it to me, and I'm getting madder by the second. My son, he knows. He's slumped down. And the principal goes out for a minute because he gets a call, and my son said, Dad, it couldn't have been that bad. Mr. Hill, the science teacher, he was laughing. I could tell when he covered his face with a book. I said, that's not the point. The point is you've done the wrong thing. My son is now a deacon in a church. He's a school teacher of the year in two different schools. I mean, he's just, he just got four kids. Great kid. He's going to reap what he's sown because I got what I deserve because I did the same stuff. But my point is this. When he finally grew up, he learned how to make good decisions and started making some right choices. But, you know, the kids do some things. But if I didn't discipline him, he would have never learned. Now, three more places. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to look at three more verses in Proverbs, all in Proverbs, and we'll be done. I don't always have uh, the Father's attention, so we've got to say a few more things. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. First of all, children, recognize... Uh, your dad's authority by obeying him. Proverbs 1.8 says this, My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Hear the instruction of thy father. The word instruction, look at chapter 3 and verse 11. We've already said this, but I want you to see it in your Bible again. My son, despise not the chastening. Do you know that's the same Hebrew word as instruction in 1.8? Instruction and chastening go hand in hand, don't they? You can't get away from that. You can't be a good parent without chastening your children. You ever been in a store? And nowadays, of course, with all the lawsuits and child abuse, it's not the same. But when I was a kid, I remember my dad in a store, and he wouldn't go in much with my mother. But if there was a two-year-old screaming, my dad would say, I'd like to take that two-year-old to the bathroom. None of us like someone who's undisciplined. We see a kid at church that you can tell doesn't have any guidelines and we're frustrated. Why don't the parents spank that child? We think that we're going to be friends with our children. That's not our calling. You'll be friends with them when they're adults. Now you need to be their parent. Then lastly, Proverbs 6.20, our last verse. We want to mention we reciprocate his sacrifice by honoring him. And you know Exodus 20, verse 10, honor thy mother and father. What's the difference in honoring them and obeying them? Obeying them, you know, you do that. They're watching. You, you do it because they're watching. You know they're going to find out. But you honor them when they're not looking. Do you know I still honor my dad in some things? My dad's been gone since 97. And when I got married, I didn't have to obey him anymore. I still honor him. He taught me some things that I, I still do. Like pay my bills. A good dad pays his bills. He'll work three jobs to pay the bills. He'll cut grass on the weekends to pay the bills. My dad taught me the importance of that. Honor your mother and father. Here it says Proverbs 6.20. It says here, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of the mother. We've already read that. My son, keep thy father's commandment. The word keep here means guard. You know how it's translated in, in Jeremiah 31? Watchman. 
We are to pay close attention, to watch, and to guard what our Father teaches us. Keep it in mind when we go out in the community. What would Dad want me to do? And finally, we recognize his shortcomings by forgiving him. This is a twist that, you know, I, I guess you expected me to say this, but your father's made a lot of mistakes. How many fathers have made mistakes? I'll put my hand up for those of you that won't admit it. Hey, we, we make them. We make them, we make them, we make them. But one thing our kids need to do is forgive us. I've apologized to my kids many, many times. But if you had a father who's not a father or wasn't a father, let him know you forgive him. Let him know you love him. That's what a good Christian son does. I'll close with a couple of things and we'll, we'll leave. I, I, this is an, a no-brainer. Researchers, sweetest researchers found children who lived with both parents had less behavioral problems. Duh. I mean, really. It's a no-brainer. Fathers are important. I don't care what the world says. They can do what they want and bring babies into the world without fathers and all that and say, well, two moms would be fine or two women would be fine as a father. It's all baloney. It's proven by stats and character. And finally, a survey was done of boys before Father's Day. The surveyors asked questions about fathers, and their answer, the questions had answers like this. Why was he a good father? He played catch with me. He went fishing with me. He took me to work. He, I rode with him to the barber shop. All of them came down to this, spending time with your kids. Do your kids think they're important if they never have your attention? If they never have to spend time with you, do they think they're important? No, they have very low self-esteem. A dad needs to spend time with his children. And we don't have a lot of parents still rearing children, but we have some, and we have some that are going to raise children. I was going to use Holland as an illustration. They're not here today, and she's pregnant. And uh, when her baby's born, she's going to be making choices. Justin and Holland are going to be making choices for that baby, aren't they? Those choices matter, folks. And the choices you teach them to make will one day come back. And I promise you, the Scripture teaches they'll make some good choices. They may not make them till they're 40 or 50, but they'll make some. And you'll say, wow, they're finally making good choices. We make mistakes, and we can't change that. But we can all be good grandparents and parents from this day forward. And because we've heard the word, we're accountable to it. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Father's Day, a time to recognize the fathers who have provided for us, who were a, a, a good communicator, who cheered for us at our ball games and helped us when we had difficulties. We thank you for that, God. Most of all, we thank you for our Heavenly Father. We thank you for the fact that he provided salvation by sending Jesus, his son, to die on the cross. If there's anyone here, Lord, who's not a Christian, I just pray today they'll give their life to Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here who will raise their hand and say, I'm not a believer, pray for me. I won't embarrass you. Just slip your hand up. I'm not a believer, just pray for me. No hands. But if you aren't, see me. Pull me aside. God bless in Jesus' name. Amen.